This is our custom. Ask the Lord to bless our time in, uh, in prayer. Uh, Heavenly Father, we um, grateful for the time and the freedom to come, learn about the majesty of our great God, uh, help us to understand um, all that these matters mean, uh, in particular uh, to our sense of worship and affection of our great God and our confidence in that we are being kept by his power for a day yet to be revealed. And uh, may this fill our hearts with hope and uh, steadfastness. And these things we ask in the name of our Redeemer, even Christ. Amen. Okay, so um, character of God. Um, everybody kind of enjoying pink? So it's, I mean, it's a fairly easy read. Uh, I'm sorry? Yeah. Yeah. Um, pink, pink was a interesting gentleman. Uh, there is a decent biography I think I mentioned if you want to read a little bit about his life uh, in our little, small little library. Um, uh, well, this morning, I think, we're going to look at uh, the attributes of uh, the sovereignty of God, the immutability of God, and the holiness of God. So, um, sovereignty of God is its probably not a... Um, uh, probably would fit really under the attribute of God's omnipotence. Uh, so it's something of a synonym of that God is all-powerful, that God is sovereign. He can do anything he wants to do, uh, except violate his own character and nature, obviously. Um, but uh, uh, I think pink defines sovereignty as the outworking of God's supremacy. Uh, so his supremacy is that he's king over everything. His sovereignty is he's able to exercise that dominion uh, to fulfill what he wants done uh, according to his good pleasure. So uh, so what does the Bible have to say about this? Well, uh, let's turn to some texts. Uh, Isaiah chapter... Um, and we've looked at those. Let's, let's go ahead and, and look at Isaiah chapter 45. I think we've looked at these in the past, but it bears uh, remembrance. Um, Isaiah 45, 7. Um, uh, the one forming light and creating darkness, causing well-being and creating calamity. Uh, I'm the Lord who does all these things. Okay. Um, remember the context is... The Babylonian captivity, how disruptive that was to the nation because there were several deportations, but essentially the nation was invaded and um, uh, Jerusalem destroyed. Uh, many of the people were carried off into captivity. Uh, would have been a, just a cataclysmic time uh, the life of the nation. Um, illustration is seen in, for example, Daniel. Uh, he's in captivity because of their idolatry. He wasn't an idolater, but the nation at large was. So he's having to 
he's having, in a, in a sense, pay for uh, the sins of the nation. But nonetheless, um, Daniel, uh, great testimony of faithfulness uh, in, a, in a difficult time. Uh, notice verses 1 to 11. Um, Woe to the one who quarrels with his maker, an earthenware vessel among the vessels of earth. Will the clay say to the potter, what are you doing? Or the thing you are making say, he has no hands. Woe to him who says to a father, what are you begetting? Or to a woman, to what are you giving birth? Thus says the Lord, the Holy One of Israel uh, and his maker, ask me about the things to come concerning my sons, and you shall commit to me the work of my hands. Um, Verse 12, it's I who made the earth and created man upon it. I stretched out the heavens uh, uh, with my hands and I ordained all the host. So uh, the prophet is doing th something there that's really uh, fairly universal. Oftentimes in the context of supremacy and majesty, it's bustrous with the theology that God's the creator. Okay. Um, If he can create, and our theology is he can create out of nothing, which he does, uh, then he can do, uh, he can do anything. Uh, keep, keep this passage in mind when we read Romans chapter 9, because Paul is going to allude, allude to Isaiah in Romans 9 with this potter clay issue. Again, the potter, gets the clay, he forms it and fashions it according to what he wants. May not be what everyone else wants, but it's what he wants. Yeah, so uh, let's look at um, um, Isaiah 46, 9 to 11. Remember the former things past, I am God, there is no other. I am God, there is no one like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things which have not been done, saying my purpose will be established and I will accomplish all my good pleasure. Okay. Um, speaking to the nation in captivity, and, and what happens beginning in Isaiah chapter 40, there's a promise that he's going to restore the nation. And many of the people say, that's impossible. How can you set us free from Babylon? We're in this vice. Um, everything has been taken from us. Our lives totally turned upside down. So, now God says, well, I can do it because I'm, I'm God. Okay. He does. So, a um, lot of applications, by the way, in your life. Okay? We all are fighting battles. We all are struggling over issues. Sometimes the dreams have been dashed. I mean, I don't know. Uh, don't necessarily need to know. But I, I certainly can relate to that in my own life. But um, it, it should be a comfort to us that, well, God's in control. And he's going to accomplish his good pleasure. And uh, he set his love upon me, so it's going to work together for good because that's the promise of God. Okay, so um, it's good to, good to remember those things. Um, let's look at some New Testament verses. Um, let's turn to Romans nine. Um, this is a very difficult chapter. I'm sure all of y'all, most of y'all have heard lessons taught on it. Um, even though I was, uh, long, long ago, there was a gentleman, he and his family attended church here. 
He had come out of a Wesleyan Arminian background, uh, which is really the reverse of the Reformed faith. So uh, he said, well, my, the, the pastor of the church I was going to was preaching through Romans. When he got to Romans chapter 9, he just skipped over the chapter. Uh, and if you understand the contents, it's pretty tough, pretty tough content. But all that it's really referencing is the sovereignty of God. The particular context is the sovereignty of God in dealing with Israel. Okay? But, but, it, but it relates to our salvation as well. Uh, or the salvation may be uh, of, of people that we love, like our children or uh, spouses. So, uh, but, but it is certainly a difficult chapter. Romans 9, let's, uh, we're going to read uh, beginning verse 11 uh, down to 23. Uh, but if the Spirit, no, I'm sorry, it's in chapter 8, that won't get it. For though the twins were not yet born, and had not done anything good or bad, okay? So this is Jacob and Esau, right? Hadn't even been born yet. And God makes a declarative statement about them. Uh, you know, by the way, we oftentimes think, do we not, that, well, you know, if I'm just a pretty good person, God's going to save me. He's going to admit me into the kingdom of everlasting light and eternity. So it's really based on me. No, it's not based on you at all. It's based on him and what he does. Because he's the sovereign. Uh, uh, that angers a lot of people. That's why this pastor, if that story is true, just skipped over it. Uh, the Arminian really cannot explain these, these verses. It just has to say, well, it's a mystery, or uh, God foreknew what the, what the um, twins were going to do, and he treats them accordingly. Well, Paul's not saying that. Though the terms are not yet born, had done nothing good or bad, in order that the purpose according to his choice might stand, not because of works, but because of him who calls. It was said to her, the older will serve the younger, just as it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. Okay? So, um, uh, a lot of people have problems with the, with the word hate. Say, well, God doesn't hate anyone. He loves everybody. Um, um, well, however you, however you deal with that very difficult issue, um, it's very clear he didn't love Esau. Okay. Oftentimes people say, well, uh, it, it shouldn't be translated hated. It's just that he rejected Esau. Well, it's the same thing, two synonyms. Um, um, you know, and, and really, uh, uh, if you struggle with this, you really need to think of it, in, or partially think of it in terms of your own humility before God. Before you were even born, He, he elected you, chose you, uh, and set His covenantal love upon you. Had He not done that, you would have never come to faith. Okay, because people who are spiritually under wrath and under judgment simply cannot believe. Ephesians 2, 1, they're spiritually dead. Um, we, we've read a number of times uh, um, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 5, 11. God does things according to the good pleasure of His will. Uh, uh, Ephesians 1, 5, He chose us in Him 
before the foundation of the world. Obviously, before you were even born. Okay? Before your great, 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 great grandparents were even born. He chose you in Him. So it's, it's a very difficult doctrine, the Reformed faith. It's just God's predestination and God's sovereign election. Um, oh. So, um, Paul has a, uh, has someone who's complaining. Rightfully so. I mean, if you understand the implication of these verses, you're going to complain. You're going to say, wait, that certainly can't be. What shall we say then? There's no injustice with God, is there? May it never be. I'm in verse 15 now. And for he says to Moses, I'll have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I'll have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then, it does not depend upon the man who wills or the man who runs, but on God who has mercy. So he chose you before the foundation of the world, not based upon anything within you or about you or anything you would do or could do or hadn't done. But he has mercy on whom he has mercy. Now the point is you didn't deserve it, so you should live a humble life with a heart of thanksgiving before him. Um, and that's the way I, to me, the only application uh, that we need to really grasp. Uh, notice verse 17. Uh, for the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose I raised you up to demonstrate my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed throughout the whole earth. So then he has mercy on, on whom he desires and he hardens whom he desires. You will say to me then, why does he still find fault for who resists his will? On the contrary, who are you, O man, who answers back to God? The thing molded will not say to the molder, will it? Why did you make me like this? Or does not the potter have right over the clay to make one uh, from the same lump, one vessel for honorable use and another for common use? What if God, although willing to demonstrate his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction? And he did so in order that he might make known the riches of his glory upon vessels of mercy, which he prepared beforehand for glory." So, um, it's just the sovereignty of God. Okay? We, we will repair to this when we think about the attribute of, of uh, the love of God. Uh, you might just think about it. Um, um, certainly, uh, we need to think about that attribute in, in the context of his rejection of, uh, of uh, Esau. Uh, so, um, should be troubled by it, uh, but it should, again, I think, provoke you to say, well, if God did this for me and I didn't deserve it, I should, I should be loyal to Him uh, because He was faithful and loyal to me when I didn't deserve His goodness. I mean, I don't, anyone else have any um, applications uh, or comments on... Um, you have to read it several times, but it's, it's overpowering in just the simplicity of the words. I have mercy on whom I have mercy. It's a circular argument. If you've ever taken a logic class, your teacher would flunk you for using a circular argument. But God can use circular arguments because He's the great Creator. So, um, anyway, um, Uh, to, to me, uh, the other application for our lives is uh, we can have a sense of assurance of the certainty of our salvation. 
if, if God chose me before the foundation of the world and had mercy on me, on me for no other reason that he has mercy, uh, then he will never reject me. Okay? So, because, uh, because of uh, his mercy. Um, um, well, again, you just have to ponder. Um, the, if we think in terms of systems of theology, uh, the Arminian uh, would, would say, look, man has a free will, and uh, God simply permits evil to happen. Uh, he's not the ultimate cause of such terrible things. And uh, God foreknows and looks down the corridors of time and sees that we're going to do something and then chooses us and has mercy uh, on us based upon what he foreknows. Well, you can take that theology to Romans 9 and you, you can't make it work. It just, just doesn't work. Um, um, you can also see that even though God is sovereign and imposes his will uh, wherever he wills to do so, uh, he still holds man responsible and accountable. That's part of the notion of Pharaoh. Uh, Moses goes to Pharaoh and says, let my people go. Pharaoh says no, so God attacks him spiritually. A couple of times Pharaoh changes his his, uh, his mind and says, okay, uh, now you can go. I don't like what you're doing here. All these terrible plagues. Changes his mind and says, oh, no, I'm not going to do it. Um, so, when you read through all those verses, there are a couple of, there are a couple of instances in the Exodus account where Pharaoh, uh, seemingly has free choice. But when you read verses like that, it, it always has the phrase, according to the word of the Lord. Okay. So once, once you have that phrase, there's a divine causality imposed on the text. Uh, Moses tells Pharaoh what's going to happen to him. He refuses to believe. Um, and God eventually destroys him. Um, you remember they, they leave and Pharaoh changes his mind so he marshals his army and his chariots and they begin chasing them. Uh, they're, they're set up against the Red Sea. Oh my gosh, they begin to play Moses. How could you bring us out here? Pharaoh's going to kill us. We can't swim. You know, we didn't take swimming lessons at the Y. You know, how could you do this? And God, what, what does God do? God, God makes a way of escape. God, that's what God does. Yeah, makes a way of escape. Makes a land bridge when they cross over, then he commands the oceans to destroy Pharaoh. So, an application there is that God, God can protect you from Satan and his minions. Um, um, I'm not so sure that there's not an echo of, of, of all of that theology in 1 Corinthians 10, 13. Uh, uh, God will not permit any um, temptation to overtake you. And then Paul says, but he will provide the way of escape. No, there was no way of escape 
they, they, they were being driven into the Red Sea. God makes a way of escape. So, um, uh, most, most Christians that I know that are not Reformed will say, well, I believe in the, the, the sovereignty of God. But they redefine it. They redefine it in terms of, but I have a free will. Uh, and um, it really, it all depends upon what I do for God before God can act. Uh, we, we haven't studied the doctrine of sin yet, but if you really understand the doctrine of sin and the fall, you understand that the man of the, the, the will of man was was uh, was totally affected by the fall and rendered spiritually dead. So, anyway, difficult theology. I'm not saying these are easy things, but nonetheless, um, um, when you read the scriptures, uh, God is sovereign, and He can impose His will at any point of time He wants to. Okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's a sense there that we do choose. Okay? Because he, he makes our will willing to choose him. I mean, you have a will. I'm not, don't misunderstand me. I mean, you're not a robot. You have a will. Okay? Uh, but in spiritual matters, uh, before redemption, um, you would never will to choose God because you loved yourself, because you loved sin, because you loved rebellion, because you loved the idols of the world, whatever those might have been to you. Yeah. Uh, but. Yeah. It's, boy, it's tough. It's tough. But yeah, you, I might frame it this way, Tom. You owe your choosing to God who chose you. So, um, let's look at the immutability of God. Um, uh, definition, God is perpetually the same, the subject to no change in his being attributes or determinations. Uh, so in the person of God, he doesn't change. The actions of God are always changing. Okay, uh, He acts differently all the time, but his attributes, who he is, um, uh, do not change. Um, let's look at a couple of uh, Old Testament verses. Um, 1 Samuel 15, 29. And also the glory of Israel will not lie or change his mind, for he is not a man that he should change his mind. Um, Psalm 
I'm sorry, 30, Psalm 3311. Um, the counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart from generation to generation. So, um, another fa fairly well-known text, um, uh, Old Testament text, um, Malachi, so last book, uh, the Old Testament, uh, Malachi chapter 3, verse 6. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O sons of Jacob, are not consumed. Okay. Um, let's look at a couple of New Testament. One, Romans eleven twenty nine. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. Can't be changed <clears throat> because because of who he is. Uh, Hebrews thirteen eight, fairly common text uh, referencing um, immutability. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. By the way, that's an important text for the different cults that come and go that deny or add or subtract attributes from Christ. Uh, if Jesus Christ is immutable, the same yesterday, today, and forever, okay, he must be God. Okay. If he's just a man who becomes God, well, well, then he wasn't always God. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Immutable doesn't change. Uh, one reason for that with respecting God the Father, Son, and Spirit is perfection doesn't change. Okay? When you are perfect, you, you don't need to change. You and I need to change all the time. You know, things happen, we go to the doctor. Um, Hopefully he says, you're good to go. Come back next year. At some point he's going to say, you know, Houston, we have a problem. You know, whatever that might be. Well, why is that? Because our bodies are slowly decaying. Why are they decaying? Uh, Genesis chapter 3. Serpent was more subtle than the beast of the field. He deceives Adam and Eve. He brings a fall upon us all, uh, which sets in motion the curse. Okay? And Christians are subject to the curse as well. Uh, we're not subject to the eternal curse, but certainly the failure in this life. So, um, immutability. Um, okay. uh, this brings us to um, holiness, God. Uh, the holiness of God... Uh, Definition, he's the sum of all moral excellence and absolute purity. 
Uh, and there's only one person that that applies to, and that's of course God. Um, and it uh, it creates a something of a problem because it means that he has to deal with sin. If he's holy, how's, how is he going to accept sinners? Well, he's got to do something. You know, for us, he does. Through Jesus Christ, he, uh, who, uh, holy God, dies upon the cross, his humanity dies. Remember, his deity can't die. The deity of Christ did not die upon the cross. If the deity of Christ died upon the cross, then he's mutable. He's immutable. But his, his humanity dies upon the cross. Uh, I mean, that's, if you think about condescension and what God did to save us, uh, only, only God could do that. Um, takes upon himself human nature forever. Okay, forever. Yeah. Uh, it's glorified, his resurrection, obviously. But let's turn to, it's a great illustration of this in Isaiah uh, chapter 6, verse 3. Um, let's 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 read beginning ver, uh, chapter Isaiah six verse one. In the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted, with the train of His glory filling the temple. Seraphim stood above Him, each having six wings. With two He covered His face, and with two He covered His feet. And with two he flew, and one called out to another and said, Holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds trembled at the voice of him who called out while the temple was filled with smoke. Okay? So it's a vision of who God is. Sitting on the throne. You know, the absolute throne that governs everything. Uh, um, you know, the, you know, the basis of our faith and trust in Him, uh, the basis of really of our going to Him in prayer, asking for Him for help and aid, midst of all the vagaries of life. Well, Isaiah is caught with this vision, uh, the prophet's in trouble because he's a sinner. Verse 5, Then I said, Isaiah said, Woe is me, for I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Okay? Uh, there's a, uh, there's a, um, a idolatrous imagery here that's really important that applies to the prophet because he, he represents the people. But when, when the idol makers would make an image of an idol, uh, they would have a ceremony of purifying the lips before the idol was put into service. Okay? Just ancient Near Eastern, ancient Near Eastern practice. Uh, heretofore, again, the, the, I always think this is interesting. Uh, 
a man's going to make an idol, or a woman going to make an idol, and then he's going to worship it. <laughs> you know, he made it. I mean, stop and think about that. Um, 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 but but before the idol was put into service, that he before he could be worshipped, uh, they had a cleansing ceremony of his lips. Okay, so in this case, Isaiah is identifying with his people. They've been idolatrous. They're not, they've been an idolatrous people. That's why they're going to be carried away into captivity. And he says, I'm a man of unclean lips. So he, he cannot worship, he cannot worship God. He's not worthy to worship God. So look at verse six, the sovereignty of the Lord. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal in his hand he had taken from the altar with tongs. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips and your iniquity is taken away and your sin is forgiven. Okay. Isaiah says, I'm not worthy. Who makes him worthy? Who sets him apart for the worship of God? God does, yeah. He dispatches an angel to go cleanse his lips. Um, So um, uh, it's good a a testimony of God's sovereignty over the prophet and his ability to to save. Um, Let's look at uh, just one New Testament text. I mean, uh, Revelation 15.4. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify Your name? For You alone are holy. For all the nations will come and worship before You. For Thy righteous acts have been revealed. You alone are holy. Okay. Um, Think of the purification of the prophet Isaiah in terms of your own salvation. You know, Lord, I'm I'm a sinner. I can't. I'm not worthy to worship you. Um, so God dispatches a change agent, uh, makes you makes you whole, purifies you, makes you clean. Uh, is the entire basis of your forgiveness. Okay. Uh, so it's, uh, you know, if you think of the applications, it's, uh, it's meant to, um, I think, cause us to revere Him, uh, to worship Him, uh, and to desire to be like Him. Okay. So, uh, we are, we are being made holy, uh, through our sanctification, uh, uh, the other thing I, I bring to your to your mind is: if God is holy, then there has to be provision for sin. Okay, uh, this is a great venue for us to share the gospel with people. You say, well, I've, I've I'm a pretty good person. I'll step on the eternal scales, and my good deeds will outweigh my bad deeds. God doesn't think in those terms. Um, because he's holy and we're not. Uh, and because we're not, we should be rejected. So, um, 
you need someone to deal with your sin. Who is that someone? Christ. He's the Holy Son of God. Uh, our sin is imputed to Him upon the cross. He suffers uh, uh, as an eternal being in His eternal punishment of God. And yet He's not consumed because He's eternal God. And uh, He is the provision for sin. There, there, there is no other. There is no other provision. Uh, you know, Acts, I think it's Acts chapter 4, there's no other name under heaven given among men whereby you must be saved. There is no other name by which you can be saved. Not your parents, not your grandparents, uh, not the prophet Muhammad, um, um, not any of the false religions of the world. If they reject Christ, and they do, that's what makes them false, they have forsaken the only way of salvation. Because there is no other name that heaven will accept. Okay, because, because God is holy, he has to deal with sin. And they don't have a provision for sin other than doing good works. You know, well, I mean, that's great. I'm all for good works. But um, remember, before the twins were even born, before they had done anything good or bad, God says, I have mercy on whom I have mercy. Yeah, so it's not the works you do. Um, um, it's the work that God does in His Son on the cross. That's an essential factor that the world has to deal with. So most, most people, uh, I mean, I, uh, you know, I mean, I, I would grant you most people are fairly good. Not everyone's a bank robber. Not everyone is a cocaine dealer. Okay. Not everyone's a trafficker of human beings. Um, but the problem is they're not perfect. And however, you know, God doesn't grade, God doesn't grade on the curve. We do that. You know, well, my neighbor wronged me, but, you know, he loaned me his mower when mine was broken. I, I don't know. It's how, you know, we just think in those terms. God doesn't, God thinks in the terms of perfection. He's holy. Isaiah was a pretty good bloke, wasn't he? Isaiah himself says, woe in me, I'm undone. He can't enter into the presence of God. So what God does is God grants him access, purifies his lips. Okay. Uh, to me, it's a humbling thought that I owe my salvation entirely, solely, irrevocably to God. Remember, you know, Romans 11, the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. Uh, this is, this is one of the failures of Wesleyan Arminianism, which is probably the dominant theology in churches in Oklahoma. Um, I can come to Christ, but then I can fall away. Well, are the gifts of God revocable? <laughs> no, they're not. I mean, if they are, look, think of it in this way. I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll explore this a little bit more, get into application redemption. If Christ saves you, can he lose you? Yeah. If he has the power to save you, if he has the power to cleanse the lips of Isaiah the prophet, Isaiah chapter 6, 
Can he lose the prophet? It makes no sense to me to think in those terms. But that's generally the way Christians think. You know, well, I can, I can come to Jesus and then at some point I, I become a, a Muslim. I, I fall away. Well, I mean, I, I know that happens. Happens all the time, I suspect. If not a Muslim, a Hindu, or just a rank pagan, retreats back into the world. Well, it means their salvation never was really genuine. They saved themselves. Isaiah didn't save himself. He recognizes he's totally incapable, totally unable. He's confronting a holy God. And God cleanses him. God is the agent that cleanses the prophet. And again, keep in mind, uh, the cleansing of lips was a ceremony uh, to set apart the idol that could be worshipped by the idol maker in whatever temple they were worshiping the idol. Which I think is absolutely hilarious. You know, we take this idol, we have to sanctify it with some ceremony, and then we can worship it. So, we made the idol, we cleansed the idol, and I'm going to worship that? (laughs) No, I'm not going to worship, worship that. I mean, that's incredible. You know, I, uh, Always amazed at some of the false religions. One of my favorite stories. I've, I've, uh, I have an affinity to the food channels on television. I, I like to see all these incredible things chefs can do, uh, particularly different kind of foods in the world. You know, I've, uh, my own birthplace was, you know, uh, way, way, way south of the Red River. Um, I've always been interested in the foods of different countries. I, I remember this food program where um, this really famous uh, cook, I, I believe it was in Asia, um, he cooks this meal and he, he takes the first part of the meal and uh, he takes it out to give that to his idol so the, so the idol can eat the best of his food. Well, okay, the idol didn't eat anything, the birds ate it. You know, I thought, wow. I'm gonna take, I'm gonna take the best, I'm gonna take the best I can do for my idol. Um, but, but he can't eat it. So, <laughs> the birds, birds got the best. I thought, geez, wish I could have been given that meal, but that's the way we think. Okay. And, and we do that sometimes in our country. I, I when I was stationed at Fort Sill, uh, I remember one time I went to Geronimo's grave. You know, he was imprisoned there at Fort Sill for a while. Uh, people have made a shrine out of his grave. If you've ever been to Fort Sill, it's a worthwhile trip if you have young children. Uh, his prison was there and his burial place was there. So people leave an orange for him. I told my wife, I'm kind of, I'd like that orange fill. <laughs> you know, I, I got tickled. Someone leave, you know, leaves a quarter. And I don't have anything against Geronimo. I mean, he was, I mean, he was an incredible warrior. I mean, but, uh, he can't use the quarter or the orange. Okay, so, but that's just the way people think. Uh, revere, um, uh, revere these, these things. So, um, this is, it, w- when you think about these, the attributes of God, it's, 
it's really tough theology because it's telling us who God is. It's also telling us something else, isn't it? Who we are. <laughs> and we are totally other than He is. But in His grace, He redeems us and is conforming us to His image. Making us like Him. Okay? And affecting radical change in our lives over time and degree. But that's the, that's the mercy of God. Any, any questions? Uh, um, a lot of tough theology here. If you need to go back and read through Romans 9 to 11, um, just, uh, but however you break on that theology, it's God's Word, so. So next time, let's look at power, faithfulness, and goodness of God. So, power, faithfulness, and goodness. Okay, well, why don't I, uh, hours kind of gone, why don't I close this in a word of prayer. Uh, Heavenly Father, we, we too, like the prophet Isaiah, uh, cry out, woe is me, for I am undone. And uh, we were unworthy because our God is holy, majestic, immutable, uh, sovereign. Uh, His dominion is an everlasting dominion which can never be changed or taken away. Uh, how can we enter that court and worship the one true God and be a part of His righteous kingdom. God purifies us in the gift of His Son and uh, dispatches the Spirit to make our will willing uh, so that we might choose Him in the day of His power because we had none. And uh, as the redeemed sons of God, uh, we have a measure of ability to follow, to keep and preserve. Uh, but even that is not salvific because Thine is the power and the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Uh, keep us ever mindful of these things, Lord, even in difficult times, um, uh, that we might uh, walk uprightly and faithfully uh, in service to thy kingdom because of Christ our Redeemer.